Welcome to Stories of COVID, the interview project that explores what it's like to experience a global pandemic. I never thought I would see this in my lifetime. It is scary and it's very real, but it's not hopeless. As I said, I changed three planes. None of them were wearing any gloves or masks. I've never seen so much support for freelancers or artists in the in the media um, as I have now. They both laid me off from just the advent of the, the outbreak. I'm anthropologist and author Veronica Kieran, and I am building an interview archive of stories and anecdotes that define this time in history to write a book preserving this experience for future generations. If you'd like to help preserve this moment in history for future generations, check out the show notes to sign up for an interview. Max Measure is a designer, author, and coach who lives in New York. Throughout the pandemic, they have striven to support their community, their friends, their family, despite their own pre-existing conditions. They have also worked incredibly hard in order to make sure that their home stays safe so that their daughter can also be safe and attend school virtually. In this episode, they describe working to engage with the Black Lives Matter events while being unable to actually attend any of the protests. Either last week of February or the first week of March, when I heard about it to be here in New York was like this time, but I think a couple of weeks before I heard about um, how it was, it was hitting hard on Italy. I remember seeing a picture, like a picture in the news of a person working with a mask and gloves in the street of Italy. And I was like, what? how? Like my brain didn't want to compute. Like I never imagined we would do the same like literally two weeks after that. I grew a lot into, into activism and into actually uh, the way it has been handled so badly in the US, finalized my view on where there's weaknesses for people, for communities, um, and how it was, it was played the way they wanted to be to play it for the safety of uh, cis white wealthy people and not for the rest of the, the people, which I had already some experience as being trans and how the trans community is not taken care of in an everyday life. Uh, and now it was, I felt the first weeks when everything started to fall apart, um, I had this weird feeling of relief that I was not the only one seeing the truth, that more people were suddenly caring about people who were not able to afford uh, uh, health insurance, people who lost their job, therefore two weeks later they, were, they had no money to pay for their groceries. Like those people are the people who should be supported and nothing is in place to really uh, do that. So when I, everything was so huge and a lot of people realized and saw that with the work I do in activism for the past three, four years, I was like, oh, okay, now we are, you know, like I don't have to constantly advocate for under-respected communities, you see there's a problem, right? So there was like a kind of feeling of like, um, that was terrible. And at the same time, I quickly realized that that will be um, what I called 
the great pose and knew like, I was like, oh wait. I was seeing like the first few weeks, I was like, wait, a lot of people will have to stay put. And because I've done a lot of work on my own self, I used to be so anxious. I had a burnout uh, five years ago, six years ago. So, and I realized me healing and being stronger in my own self was to stay put and to heal and to do a lot of that. And I realized very quickly that I was like, oh, let's see what happens. Let's see what happens with all that, all those people who have to stay put where they used to rush and overproduce and always be uh, producing, producing. Um, and that was a very interesting in an anthropologic way of seeing all those people get into the denial phase of like, no, 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 I'm gonna continue to work over time where they're like, no, no, you, you won't. Like you are literally going through a crisis your brain and your capacity to handle is not the same as usual, you're gonna crash and people crashed. And then it started to like realize, oh, I can actually maybe work a bit less or like, and I saw that happen and it was very um, interesting. When it started, I was like, oh, maybe a lot of people are gonna grow, gonna grow through that phase. Um, where I am now, so, so I am immunocompromised. So for the past six months, I think I went outside six times. The longest was like three, four hours. Uh, like uh, I, I had to really lock down myself. And now around me, a lot of people are going outside again. Um, I think they reopened uh, swimming pools and gym this week, uh, which I'm like, what? Uh, even me like walking, I don't even walk at night, I, I did a few walks, uh, but now I don't even do walks. Like there's too many people outside. And on Sunday, people are lining up. Uh... Look, you're my okay. That's a good My kid. <laughs> um, a lot of people are waiting for in line to go to brunch on Sunday. And that was for me when I saw, I just, just took one walk on a Sunday to meet a friend at a park with my uh, mask and everything. And when I saw so many people uh, in line for brunch, I really saw the disconnect of me being immunocompromised, trying to just survive until maybe there are gonna be a vaccine that I can take, but being immunocompromised, I'm not even sure I could take the, the vaccine. And all the people I know from the queer community, the black community, people of color, people with disability, who are literally, they can't pay their rent. They like, they can't, literally so going to brunch and spend like 30 40 50 bucks for a brunch it makes no sense when we all are trying to like just survive and that really um difference of level of life was really like shocking and i think there's i also have a lot of compassion because i um, being in denial when you you can you can be okay with what you have it's easier to be in denial because you don't have to face your own guilt, I guess. Uh, but then for me, when I go back to my own safety, I can't, I can't live uh, here uh, anymore. And that's where I started to look around, moving just outside of New York to have uh, fewer cases and uh, a place where I can actually go out just to work. Well, for the first three months of the uh, pandemic, I had to uh, stay absolutely completely inside. Um, I had everything delivered, which is still the case, but I was cleaning every piece coming from uh, deliveries with uh, 
um, sanitizer and everything. Uh, we didn't know at the time how the virus was conducted or not by touch of surfaces and stuff. So I was just like mask and gloves every time I was reserving some groceries. Uh, so that was taking a lot of time. <laughs> uh, and then I didn't see my kid for three months. Um, so I share my kids with my ex-partner and same here was like, I'm at some moment, some point I was like, well, if we go back and forth every week, like we do, I was putting myself at risk of not knowing how the virus was really uh, be contagious. So like if I welcome my kid every week and my kid, I went outside and spent some time with his other parents, I was like, I was so anxious because I know that if I get the virus, I might not make it. Like to be clear, I, I like I don't have an immune system. That's um, so I, we made the decision that we I would welcome my child again at home when the rates of the capacity of beds in the hospitals will be lower than thirty or twenty percent. I don't remember. So I was checking the numbers to like when I wanted to make sure if and or when I get sick that uh, there would be a bed and people to save me. And that, that's a weird thought to have <laughs> when you wake up in the morning. Um, so, but I was like, yeah, so I have my number. I know what to check. So my kid didn't see me in, uh, in person for three months and he's only six and he was five at the time, um, which was a lot of, it was uh, very hard for both of us. We did, we did a lot of FaceTime and plays and stuff over the phone. Uh, so that was like already like, uh, a very difficult moment um, and uh, I was lucky enough to have um, to have some clients at the time as a designer so I was making money still and I was able to uh, help some friends give to some donations for uh, Black Lives Movements, uh, some mutual aid um, and so because I was not able to get outside uh, a lot of the protests um, I was on the back seat and I realized also, which I didn't really put too much uh, intention before that there's a lot of areas that we can take action as being part of a movement. And this is where I paid more attention. What can I do from my home? Because it's not safe for me to be with 15,000 people for the trans black life movement. I was at the Brooklyn Museum, um, I think it was in May or June, I forgot. Um, and I was so sad to not be part of that because it's just part of my activism. But then I was like, okay, what can I do? So I can share, I can actually like encourage people to go. I can like, um, even in my work as a designer, make commitments of be even more um, ethical design and really like um, accept missions with clients that are anti-racist, uh, anti that are ethical, that want to actually make something different than following the white, white supremacy, capitalism uh, goal of making more money and completely dismiss some parts of the population. Uh, and that's, that's what happened for me from March to now, I became more and more like radical uh, to the point like for me from May to now, I, um, interviewed a lot, applied, talked with clients, and none of them were actually fitting my criteria of being doing the right thing, which I had days of like, what am I doing? I need, I need money for rent. But like, no, no, I have a commitment and I really, um, I really trust in my own, who I am and what I can do as a designer. 
I have to use that as being a way to move the needle and to encourage other people to be also paying attention to what they do with their hands, with their brain. Um, and we are part of what will happen for next generations. Um, so that's something that I've been working a lot and that ended up me two months ago to realize by all the, all the conferences I've been during the, the past six months, I've been in a lot of groups, uh, non-violent practice group. I've been into anti-racist groups. I've been into design justice, uh, activism. Like I've been part of a lot of things being um, at home um, and I grew a lot of my uh, knowledge and uh, stuff that I didn't know about black history. And I thought at the beginning that was because I'm coming from France. And so I had uh, didn't know enough about the US history. And I started talking with my friends around me like, no, 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 I didn't learn that at school either. And I was like, what? So this is where like, I started to like remove layers of layers of layers of how we end up in being this situation by the system that was definitely designed for us to not know what really happened. Um, and that was a big aha moment because I felt that I was I didn't know enough by being an outsider coming to this country. And I realized that it's, no, the, this, everyone was manipulated anyway. Um, so yeah, so two months ago, I realized by taking notes on all the knowledge I had and with my own lived experience of trans person and the inclusion work I've been doing that uh, I was writing a book and all the sticky notes and I have still left some here. All the sticky notes I had everywhere was like, oh, those are like, those, this is a book that I'm actually writing. And uh, so I started to work on that um, and realizing that uh, all the inner power that I gave myself by coming out as a trans person um, is a journey that I want to share and encourage other people to also um, tap into their inner power and less about their um, the system and who is the authority to them. Um, so yeah a lot happens in six months. For me, first of all, I didn't, I felt alone and I really missed the touching uh, of friends um, a lot, especially when I was really alone for three months, not even having my kids. Like, and at the time I did not have any pets. So I was really alone, alone, only screens and FaceTime. So um, two things like the touch was really missing and at the same time, I'm someone who uh, first uh, language of love is uh, quality time. So weirdly enough, because having one-on-ones with friends through Zoom, through FaceTime, I actually, I had amazing, deep, full conversation, meaningful conversation with those friends with like one hour set to be only the two of us, not being distracted by other stuff around us in a cafe or like um, having uh, to check our phone. We are only on our phone. <laughs> um, so I, I analyzed why I was actually feeling okay in that sense because I had dedicated time with friends. So it was like less about like chit chat at the cafe and more like, let's get to the topic of what is white supremacy? What can we do? Like, and I um, that was for me something that like really supported me a, a lot. And like I said, I also attended a lot of conferences online, webinars. I have a, a meditation practice and same, I was able to actually join 
meditation group that I like, but I was not able to attend because it was in person in uh, DC or uh, in Los Angeles. So I like almost every day I had, um, and I still have some groups I join and do uh, virtual meetings and making, making change. Um, and on my own part, the first few weeks, uh, because I use them, I use uh, like improv dance as a way to feel uh, in my body, understanding my feelings and expressing them. The first maybe four weeks, I um, I was hosting a Zoom call uh, for improv dance. So I watched every day at 6 p.m. I was just 6 p.m. to 6.30. I would put music, I had my playlists and I was just inviting people if they wanted to join. So I had sessions with friends, but also random people who found the link from a friend of a friend and I was just dancing um, with people. That really helped me also like to create. I think we were all craving that uh, connection at that time. And over now, more and more people go back to their own rhythm of life, uh, which I understand, but I'm still here. I'm still locked down. <laughs> and so it's less, um, it, like I don't feel that craving for everyone anymore. And on my part, I'm also now I have my kids every day with me. Um, five days of the week. I now have a pet, like a friend had to move. So uh, he gave me his cat, which is the best thing I ever had. Like I didn't have a pet since I was an, a teenager. So that's my first pet as an adult. And this cat is just the most snuggly cat ever. And that really gave me all the like, the hugs and touch that I missed. And, like, and I now understand the benefits uh, of having a pet for mental health. My my mental health is so much better since I have a cat. The cat is waking me up in the morning and it's less of a burden to like start this new um, ground day, which is the same as every day. The cat is making like a big impact on my life, my kid's life. I think, yeah, I think the story of me landing the perfect gig now, like today I just got the confirmation that I'm starting a new job next week which I think I might have uh, lost patience if it was not during a pandemic. Um, and I, I believe in like, um, I'm trying to believe in rejections being, rejection being protection. So since May, I've been trying to find a new client. I usually have like three months, three months gigs, like with clients as a designer. I'm not used to like long-term, uh, gigs. Um, so usually I, I worked one to three months with someone and I already have another one lined up and I go with that. But because my last client finished uh, early May, by May everything was pretty cold. Like everybody was like, should we hire more people or just keep the money? Some people had like a funding, but ah, after all, we don't have the funding. Like it was a big mess. So I continued to like um, talk to people, apply to jobs and people like I did a lot and usually I don't have to do that much. Like it comes and here was like super, super draining and nobody was really, uh, I got a job at some point on a Friday and by Monday they called me like, oh, fine. after all, we don't have the budget so we can't hire you. Like the up and downs or like the roller coaster was just uh, huge. I job, they, they were hiring me, but they have discovered, oh no, after all, we don't take people with a visa and I have a visa, I'm from France. I, like, so it's like, yeah, but no, but yeah, but no. So it was like the past, uh, yeah, since May and now uh, we're in September now, like no luck. Like, and this year I started to really be worried because I have a kid. I like, 
I have to pay the rent. And I mean, in Brooklyn, it's not a cheap rent. I have like, so like, this was really a lot of like breathing and like believing that the universe is gonna show up. And I think because of that, I had time to think about writing a book, which I want, I have in my head for a long time. But then because of that time and moment, and it felt very um, healthy and empowering to think about the book while I was looking for a job. So if I had a client, I would have been focused on that. And maybe I wouldn't have had, like, I wouldn't have been pushed so hard into, look at that. You need to write that book. The universe has been like, hey, hey. And so towards now and the way writing the book, being more and more in my inner power, deeply in my activism, what I want to see the world change, I also gained this uh, confidence of, telling to people I had some interviews as well, like, hey, if you hire me, we're gonna do ethical design, we're gonna do inclusive design. Why do you not have any black people uh, as, ma as manager in your company? Like, so I was talking about that during interviews and I was like, I mean, if that makes you not want to work with me, we won't be good much anyway. But I think I was able to be that strong because of everything I was thinking for the past months with COVID and black club movement. So. I got rejection a lot and I tried to take them as like protection and something better is coming and like, <laughs> sure, but where, <laughs> please, <laughs> it's a bit long now. Um, and then now that I'm starting, going to start this new uh, gig, uh, it's, it is related with everything I believe in. Like they want ethical, inclusive design. They want to move the needle for trans liberation. Um, they're like a uh, trans owned business. So, and I think I would have missed, you know, all the turns to go to that specific point of me writing the book and me finding them and having the gig with them because I might have said yes to something sooner. And um, so that's for me, like, this was a scary and it's still a bit scary, but at the same time, it pushed me to make decisions, even more radical decisions towards what I want to see. Um, so that's, for me, that's fantastic because um, I don't think that would have happened outside of like such a crisis. Thank you for listening. Subscribe so that you don't miss an interview. I interview multiple people a week and I am releasing these episodes as fast as I can. And if the story meant something to you, share it because it will probably mean something to someone else. Every time you share the project, it helps the project grow. So thank you. Until next time, stay safe, stay well.